Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome back to Stories from the Trenches, the Sales Enablement Society podcast, where people that do what we do get together, talk about the challenges that we all face, and innovative and creative ways that they have found to solve those challenges and, and get great outcomes. Today, I'm excited to welcome Melissa Regan. She is a Senior Manager of Sales Enablement with Ring Central. Welcome, Melissa, and introduce yourself. Hi, thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, yes, Melissa Regan. I've been with Ring Central now for about four and a half years. And um, if you're not familiar with Ring Central, Ring Central provides cloud-based communications and collaboration solutions for businesses. So UCAS or Unified Communications and CCAS Contact Center Solutions. And yeah, the last four and a half years have been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun, uh, a ton of growth. And my background that, that led to my position in sales enablement um, is really pretty unique, but it's almost like one of those things where you'd think I would have planned it, but really I didn't. <laughs> um, and that is that I started, actually I went to school to be a teacher and I taught eighth grade language arts and 12th grade AP literature and language. Um, so an English teacher kind of moved out of teaching into a career in sales while I was kind of figuring out what the next step was. Uh, and then landed in enablement. So what's interesting, Paul, is all of that kind of blended together where if you think about, you know, think about sitting in a classroom in an English class and, and you're writing essays and you've got to you know, create your argument, defend the argument, and then close the argument uh, and match your essay. Well, that's also sales. <laughs> you create your argument, you you kind of create that value behind it and defend it, and then you close for the sale. So it's been really interesting blending that teaching background and that teaching training that I received all throughout my degree with that English approach and, and being able to kind of articulate what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And um, now I train all of our new hires at Ring Central that are coming in as sales reps. And that's what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today is some of the, the I'm going to say, just really cool ways that you shared with me of how you're doing that. But before we get into that, I want to have a little bit of fun with an icebreaker question. What is your favorite local restaurant and what is your go-to order? <laughs> so I, I actually spent eight years very recently in Denver, Colorado, and I recently moved back to Maryland, which is where I grew up. Uh, so my go-to restaurant order has always been ahi tuna. And for the last couple of years that I've been in Colorado landlocked, it was one of those nerve-wracking orders. <laughs> you never know how that tuna quake got to Colorado. And uh, ahi tuna is just so fresh and mm -hmm. exciting and wonderful. And now that I'm back here on the East Coast, uh, 
still my go-to order. It's a little more uh, trustworthy these days. So crab, seafood, um, ahi tuna, that's, that's definitely my go-to. And there's a local restaurant right around the bend from where I live that uh, I frequent and, and enjoy that meal. Do you like the ahi? I'm just curious, um, you know, the, the rare with the wasabi and the ginger and all that stuff, or do you like it to somehow different? I most certainly eat it rare, and I most certainly do not eat it with wasabi. <laughs> uh, I am a complete sissy when it comes to spice. <laughs> my, okay. my husband makes fun of me. I Even mild salsa, I can hardly handle. So ahi tuna rare, yes. Wasabi, okay. not so much. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. So... With the onboarding that you're doing, I want to break it down and start with pre-COVID environment that we'll be talking about in a minute. What are some of the creative approaches that you used uh, to help your enablement efforts stick and, and the results that you saw from that? Sure. So for me, some of the things that I'd like to think about when I'm putting together any sort of enablement program, uh, first and foremost is my audience. So what is my audience? Who are they? What do they care about? And how do they like to learn? Uh, so I'll use an example that I, that I put into practice when I was in charge of the enablement for our BDRs. And so our BDRs are business development representatives. Uh, and they are usually, you know, kind of fresh out of college or early in their career in sales and uh, typically a little younger. Attention spans are a little bit shorter. Um, and so with that group, uh, in the past, I've actually found a lot of success enabling through metaphors and enabling through kind of touch it, feel it, interactive programs. Uh, so I was tasked with the lovely uh, topic of a Salesforce object, <laughs> training the business development reps on a very complicated object in Salesforce, which is a CRM that many uh, sales groups or, u- utilize. And the BDRs, we're really just having trouble grasping the Salesforce object and how they were going to interact with it and how they were going to use it to uh, better their prospecting. Uh, the BDRs at Ring Central, they are, they are cold outbound prospectors. And so they really needed to grasp this topic. And rather than giving them kind of this boring, you know, snoozy training of a process in Salesforce on computer, I, I actually took this complex topic and created this massive metaphor around a Ferris wheel and explained this very complicated object in Salesforce using a metaphor of, you know, this particular object is the the center of the Ferris wheel. And then the spokes of this Ferris wheel are represented by the account object. And our opportunities are the carts and our contacts are the people riding around in this Ferris wheel. And from there, it really just kind of blossomed into this full-blown carnival. So I used the metaphor technique with this audience because I needed to give them something that was memorable and something that they could relate to. While at the same time, I wanted to give them a hands-on experience so that they would never forget it. So using that that Ferris wheel metaphor, I built out a station of a carnival that was a Ferris wheel. And then we had a station that was a duck pond. We had bumper cars. We had a dunk tank. All of these different things where I had made <laughs> made all of these props. I had recruited people across Ring Central to be, um, you know, somebody was a fortune teller and talked about how this particular item in Salesforce gave you visibility into forecasting. And we we talked about um, the dunk tank was 
you know, rules of engagement, right? When can you work something versus not work something yeah. based on this object? And um, of course, I did not have a real dunk tank, but I did have shaving cream that they got sprayed with um, if they got that wrong. So it was just it was just this awesome half day where we brought everyone to the training room and they interacted with each other and they had a fun and then they went back to their desks and they started using it right away in a way that really helped it to hit home. And um, one of the other important pieces, Paul, was, you know, building on it later and continuing that metaphor and continuing that interactivity in the months that followed. I would love to hear more about that because that is a challenge that we all deal with. And it's just retention. Right? As you said, you had a fantastic event, but they physically are going to forget things no matter how much they try not to. And so I agree with you. The follow on is critical. So we'll hear more about it. Sure. So I'm a firm believer in space repetition. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, it's, it's essentially a memory phenomenon where you actually want your learner to forget a little bit of what you taught them so that they're then forced to recall it from that space in their brain where you originally taught it. And in the process of recalling that information, they're actually solidifying that real estate in their brain even more. So the more that you allow people that space to forget and then have to recall, you're solidifying that spot in their brain. So I did follow up the carnival with a couple of other, again, kind of metaphorical or interactive events, um, one of which was this really elaborate scavenger hunt. So I went to all of our physical office locations, and I had done a lot of research on uh, the, the city. So, for example, we have an office in Charlotte, one in Denver. So I went to Charlotte, and I created this scavenger hunt. There were all these little rhymes, and yes, I told you I was an English major, so all of these clues were little limericks and they all rhyme and I hid them at local businesses or local areas all around Charlotte and then I went to my BDRs and this was two months after the original carnival and I put them in teams and they actually downloaded the Salesforce mobile app so not only am I revisiting what I taught them but now I'm building on it a bit by having them use it in the palm of their hand in their mobile app. And so they're using Salesforce and they're applying the same techniques and um, having to recall the same definitions and practices that I taught them in the carnival. And they're racing all around the city of Charlotte and they're searching for companies using what I taught them. And when they figure out what the company is, they actually went to the physical company location. So one of them I remember was a bowling alley and the person at the bowling alley had envelopes for my BDRs with their next limerick clue in the envelope. And of course, it's a young group, so it ended in a bar tab. So as soon as they finished, the first person uh, or, or group rather that finished, uh, they they got to the bar tab first and we all kind of celebrated and it was this big fun day. But really what they were doing was they were putting the same tools into practice that they were taught at the carnival and it was two months later, and, and they were continuing to build on build on that learning and having fun while they did it. I love these examples because, as you said, Salesforce object, Salesforce anything, you can almost see a BDR and AE's eyes glaze over, right? It's just they know it's not going <laughs> to be fun, or they think they know, in your case, it's not going to be fun. You know, it's just going to be... More uh, more bullet points, more rules to remember, and that sort of thing. 
But I love how you turned that into, I'd be surprised if they still don't talk about those events sometimes, right? It's, it's something people are going to remember and they're going to remember the content. Now, those were clearly live events. You're able to bring people in and do those things. How have you adapted the onboarding now that it's fully remote and you need to, you're trying to maintain that same level of engagement? When we found out that we were turning our onboarding fully remote, it, it came as quite a surprise to me. Uh, I actually had a week and a half notice to flip the program from what used to be a live class in session in, in our largest sales office in the U.S. Um, to being fully remote. And luckily, our product uh, lends itself very well for these kinds of things. We, we offer a video conferencing setup where we can share screens. So I had the right tools. But the challenge was figuring out how do I live, deliver the content in a way that's still engaging, right? How do I keep my audience interested in a 40-hour week-long training, mm-hmm. which typically we're up, we're moving around, we're playing games. I have all these competitions built in. We're you know, going to happy hour after class breaks and trying to build that camaraderie within a new hire cohort. Um, so what I ended up doing, one of the first things, and, and I... I implemented a lot of new practices, but I'll, I'll speak to one today. Um, and Paul, that was creating welcome boxes. So I very quickly came up with this idea where I was going to send in the mail a custom ring central box to each of my new hires. And in that box, it was just meant to completely delight them, make them feel like they were part of something greater. But I also kind of had some thoughts about how can I use this box to my advantage to keep them engaged during class. So as a new hire, I received this box that's got all my course materials that I would normally hand out in the classroom. And then I send them a Ring Central hoodie. They get a they get a chip clip because who doesn't need more chip clips? <laughs> and all sorts of other fun little surprises. Most importantly though, they get four colored bags. So in the four colored bags are surprises and they're labeled by day. So a new hire opens it up They've got one color with a little note and it's sealed off and it says, open me Monday, open me Tuesday, open me Wednesday, so on and so forth. So on day one, we all hop on the video conference. We're using Ring Central's product and we're on together. And at a certain point in the morning, I say, okay, go ahead and grab your Monday orange bag. And everyone grabs their bag and we open it. Each day, these bags provide us with some sort of fun little gadget or tool that I use to, to activate um, their different senses or in, increase engagement. So, for example, one of the days they get, the first day they get some Mardi Gras beads. Based on the color of their Mardi Gras beads, they actually share with me their name and then a memory that that color of their beads reminds them of. So it utilizes an icebreaker. But mm-hmm. then throughout the week, I can quickly and easily call on less people. So for example, my classes are usually 20 to 25 per month. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of people to try to get a word in edgewise. And so I'll say something like, hey, for my folks with green beads, what are your thoughts on how we've decided to handle objections? And then that pool gets smaller very quickly without having to call somebody out by name. I also use um, little gummies that are (laughs) body parts. And we use that as a metaphor. So if you get an eyeball or a foot, we talk about how we can sabotage our ability to negotiate through 
for example, our vision or, or how we view that deal. Um, and then my eyeball folks would, would speak to those points. Uh, there's a day where we hold up little chalkboards. I, I fill balloons with little messages and scenarios, and we all blow those balloons up and pop them. And then based on what comes out of our balloon, we have to role play that scenario. Um, so just things that get everybody, you know, kind of kind of moving around and, and doing something different besides looking at all of our faces on the screen. You had me at gummy body parts. I have no idea where you get those, but that sounds a lot of fun. So I'm guessing just... I'm pretty sure they're a Halloween candy. Yeah, that that makes sense. So it sounds like you do your sales boot camp or academy monthly. And I'm guessing like most of us, you that week and a half that you had to get things online was probably around the end of March. Um and and so now that you've had four or five of them since since going online, have you have you found that um, you've evolved the approach? Did you kind of you know self tune as you went? And that might be interesting for people that are going through the same thing. Yeah, I think you know I think many of us were kind of in a bind when we first transitioned to that remote model. Whether you're doing it because there was a particular impetus, like a pandemic, or Maybe your company just decides, okay, we're going to take this remote. We're hiring all over the country now, embracing more of that work from anywhere approach. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I had a quick turnaround. And, and so I came up with some initial thoughts and it has most certainly evolved. Uh, so for example, when I first sent those boxes out, it just came in a plain old brown UPS box. And now I, I order custom boxes. So I spent some time designing, you know, a really bright, colorful ring central branded box. And that's what they get. Um, I've evolved kind of the way everything blends into the program. I've done some follow up items after we conclude that onboarding week that ties back to some of the content and some of the things that we've done in class. And I mean, at this point, I've, I've just fully embraced onboarding as a remote journey. You know, it's not just a singular event. It's not just, oh, yeah, that's the week that we spent on video conference together. It's, this is this is where we are now. This is how we're going to connect forevermore with each other. And, and we find ways to reunite. We have little reunions. We do happy hours. Um, I just recently had an event with my March cohort where we kind of got back together. And we talked about value selling. And, and we pulled in some fun stories uh, from the original session that way. And... Uh, we, we, we do wine tastings and try to interact with each other the best way that we can. But uh, certainly, I think, especially with remote onboarding, but always with onboarding, it's constant evolution. It's making sure that we are delighting our new hires in any way possible. I love, as I'm listening to you, that you have found a way to capture that bond that typically happens when folks are in that sales onboarding together. And you always remember who your buddies were that you went through class together, wherever else you scattered to the company and that sort of thing, it's always there. And that's a, that's a great network to start with. And you have found a way to take that online so that they're keeping that component of, of the uh, live experience as well. So they go through the boot camp. The experience there and the onboarding. And then what I think of, I, that's what I call onboarding. But then what comes next, what I talk about is ramping. You may have a different term for it, but it's accommodating the different roles within 
they're onboarding and ramping, which is critical. I'm not sure how many different roles you're dealing with. You can maybe share with us. But how do you do that and be able to still scale? I think you said 25, 20 to 25 people in a class, and they're probably every class probably has a, a, a mix of roles in it. So I'd love to hear about that. So on average, yeah, I have about 20 to 25 folks per month that I'm, I'm bringing on. And, and again, my focus actually, I, I, I get the pleasure of having a refined scope. So I onboard only sales folks. Um, or folks that are touching sales folks in, in like a team selling approach and only those that are selling in, in kind of that field sales or upmarket space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I onboard 12 distinct roles. Uh, that's anywhere from a direct sales AE to a BDR to a, um, an account manager or customer success manager. I onboard our solutions engineers, our professional services client partners, it's just a lot of different vantage points that are coming in and, you know, they all unite on the selling methodology and the go-to-market motion and, and kind of the way that we approach our customers. Um, but, you know, when you get into things like mutual plans and, and how, how we're speaking to these, these customers or these prospects and, and where these roles fall in that customer journey um, can get really tricky with onboarding because you've got folks like an SE who's, very technical. And then you've got, um, you know, an AE who's a little less technical and doesn't necessarily need those demoing skills. Uh, so I have taken the program and given it a common structure and given it a common vein. And from there have branched off in an agile way while still accommodating for these roles. So each of the roles that come through the onboarding program they have a distinct learning path in uh, it's all in e-learning uh, initially, but I have one for say a BDR and our program is called flight school. So I've got BDR flight school. I've got CSM flight school. I've got enterprise AE flight school. I've got a mid-market AE flight school and they're a duplicate of each other while giving me the ability to customize them as well so that, for example, an enterprise AE is going to learn about different competitors than, say, a mid-market because there are different competitors in those spaces. Um, so I, I have the ability to own all of the programs for the different roles while customizing it by role. In the class itself, I use lots of storylines. We do a ton of role-playing. Um, there's homework assignments at, at night. I have custom storylines by role as well. So I particularly use, I use Patagonia. It's a, it's a pretend story, um, talking to a pretend person. And we practice taking notes and we build a mutual plan for Patagonia. We put together a custom pitch deck for them. But my SEs, they're, they're getting a more technical conversation in their storyline. And, and their final culminating project at the end of flight school is to do a quick demo. Patagonia. Whereas my BDR has a shorter, simpler conversation, more focused on kind of like what are the challenges being faced. uh, And their presentation is more of a cold call role play. I have my AEs who are working through talking to a particular persona and they, they do a formal presentation to, you know, Patagonia. Of course, it's their leadership that they're all presenting to. Uh, and I even go as far as to say, okay, well, if a particular AE is selling our contact center product, 
we have that Patagonia storyline from a different persona's vantage point. So we're speaking to another business decision maker and that storyline differs in that way. So everyone has this common thread of we're pitching Patagonia, but each individual new hire is able to tackle the project in a way that's completely applicable to their role. And you've got that continuity in there, which you could all do all kinds of things with that since they're each working on the same uh, uh, case, basically, but their own role specific. You could even have combined role plays. And that's really cool. I'm just sitting here thinking about by, by having everybody work on that common prospect or customer. Really appreciate the time that you spent with us today, Melissa. And I always like to go out with the same question with our guests. And that is, as you look back on your career, what's the thing that you understand and, and, and maybe attribute your success to now that you wished that you'd understood and could go back and tell yourself when you were starting out? So I think it's interesting because everything I've talked about today really hits on this. And, and that is, you may have the best idea ever. But if it's not meaningful to that audience, it probably isn't going to work. And so, you know, to everything I spoke to today, right, using metaphors, making things interactive, making sure that there is engagement in that remote onboarding um, and pulling in the different vantage points of the different roles, all of it comes down to I have to be able to put myself in the shoes of each and every group or person that I'm training or enabling and really think about what's going to stick for me in that role. What do I care about? Why should I listen? Why should I spend time changing this behavior or uh, practicing it this way? And early on in my career, you know, I'd think of something or, or, or come up with a way of putting a program together. And I didn't do that quite as much. And as I've evolved and matured in my career, that's where I start. I always start putting myself in the in the desk of the audience and who that person is and what they want and what they need. And then I develop my program from that. That's great advice. We've been speaking today with Melissa Regan from Ring Central about some of the innovative ways that she is approaching onboarding for different roles and completely online. And hopefully you got something from some of the great ideas that she shared. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or Google so that you don't miss an episode of Stories from the Trenches and hope to see you next month. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.